Okay, so we're in Genesis. <laughs> the other end of the book, Revelation chapter 20, way towards the back. If you don't have a concordance in your back, just flip, go to the back and come about two pages forward, uh, and you'll be there. Revelation chapter 20, we're looking at the end of the millennium. Mine has a heading there. It starts with the defeat of Satan. So as you turn there, uh, I'm just going to kind of bring us all to focus here. You know, there are a lot of ways you can say what I'm about to say, uh, and, and uh, the, the, I mean, near infinite, I think. I'm just going to say it this way. Adam was a lunkhead, okay? Uh, it, what kind of an idiot has, eat, has Eden handed to him and blows it for a bite of fruit? It's like, okay, <laughs> Canute. Adam and Canute are lunkheads, okay? Uh, it, it, it. If you want to be nice, call him foolish. If you want to be nice, Canute's nice. Oh, he made a mistake. <laughs> He's like me. But if you're not feeling nice, you can call him an idiot. You'd be right. Uh, because it, it not only was wrong to do, it was dumb to do. There's, there's no justifying what he did. But after Adam, the world got filled up with people, right? And all the, they had no rules. There were no laws that they could break. They had one thing to keep them in line, and it was their conscience. Guess what 100% of them did with their conscience, right? They, they violated their own rules. Forget God's rules. They violated their own rules. And God, it got so bad that God flooded the world. They became civilized. And then they had, not only they had their consciences, but they started forming cities. One of the things when you start forming cities is you start having government. And they had government. And so government comes in with rules. And guess what they did with the government rules? <laughs> they broke those too, right? Uh, so so, so it's, it's, it's what is going on here. So God looks at this. He says, I'm going to do something different. And he picked this one guy, this guy named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, gave him a kid, <laughs> right? And said, I'm going to make a people out of you. And he made this whole people, and he gave them a whole bunch of, of very special perfect rules. Only perfect rules. No man-made rules. Nothing, nothing that might, you might be able to say is not a good rule. Well, what did they do with those? They blew those too. And so finally, God sends his own son, Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ comes to earth, and he gives us this amazing thing, mercy and forgiveness, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit on top of that. Surely now we'll get it right. What do you say? Because uh, at this point, I'm up to present day, <laughs> right? And, and as you look at it, you go, I don't think we've gotten it right yet. I, I, you, you, say, you use those words, but they're not tracking in, in my experience. Uh, so I guess uh, the world still rejects Jesus and his offer, God is, they've, just as they've rejected God every way. And so then I come back to Adam, full circle, and I go, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're dumb, but... You know, I'm looking in a mirror, uh, and, and he's just one of us. He's just one of us. And, and one of the things I just keep, it's my mantra on Revelation, or one of my mantras. I know I have various rules as I go through this, but, but one of my keep going is it's written about then, but it's written for now, right? Revelation is written for any time anyone reads it. Revelation has truth and application for us. And so as we look at what it says about the millennium, as it looks, we, we look at what it says about the end times, he's not writing this for its entertainment value. 
He's not writing this for, for uh, some kind of benefit that, that's going to give our, our uh, leisure time. He's writing this because it has relevance to us today. Well, what relevance do we find in the world? Because what, here's what's going to happen next, and it's what we see is the world once again. At this point, we, we talked about this last week. I, I kind of set the stage. Jesus is ruling on the throne. Satan's not around. And, uh, uh, and the world still turns around and, and goes wrong and, and does the wrong thing. And what possible relevance does that have to us today? Well, you know what it shows is the absolute rebellious, sinful nature of man. Because they're going to have it yet better than us. And they're going to blow it too. And man has an absolute rebellious nature. And we still have this. The answer I can find is that we see human character on display. And it has not changed from Adam. Man is a rebellious creature who does not want to submit to his maker. So today we're going to see Satan released from prison after a thousand years. Uh, we'll see mankind say, yeah, we'll follow him. And, and we're going to see uh, that God is finally done with this world. Okay, so Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 7, or reading just verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, uh, Satan released from his prison. And, and, and it's like, you picture this. And uh, I don't know what you picture, but, but I want to first say Satan has not been rehabilitated <laughs> by his prison stay. You know, I've, I've shared this before, but, but essentially there's three purposes, three things that I'm aware of that prison is supposed to accomplish. It is supposed to punish the offender, right? The crime needs punishment. Those who have been offended recognize the need for pun punishment on those who have done the offending. We want justice. When we, and, and, and when you're sitting from the advantage of an impartial bystander, you say, well, punishment doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, it does. It, 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 we, when you have been offended, you want justice. And by justice means you want to see the offender punished. And, and so it's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is it protects society, right? If, if, I, am, if I am a repeat offender uh, car burglar, right, uh, and I have stolen 12 cars, uh, one a month for the last year, right? I, I, and then I get locked up in prison. I'm put away for five years. For five years, you don't have to worry about me stealing your car. Which, by the way, car burglars are the ones that have the greatest recidivism rate. They're the ones most likely to get out of prison and repeat the crime. I, I read that in the paper, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I guess. Uh, and so I believe it. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Uh, they, they obviously think they're smart enough to get away with it, and they say, well, that's my skill, is what I know. I don't know. But, but anyway, so for those five years, you're protected from me. I'm not stealing your car. So, so first, it's punish the offender. Second, is protect a, a society. But the third is to rehabilitate the offender. And you hope they will come out of prison better person. I know they say that doesn't happen very often, and they blame the penitentiary system and all that. I'm not going to get into that game. All I'm going to say is sometimes it does happen. Uh, sometimes the offender is rehabilitated. So Satan has been punished, right? The first one of those three, punishment. Yeah, Satan has been punished. A thousand years locked up in a pit with the top sealed over you, that's punishment. He has been a pun punished. A thousand years in a sealed pit is punishment. Society has been protected, 
For a thousand years, he has not been causing trouble. He has not been the prince of the power of the air that we read about in Ephesians 2. He has not been prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, like it says in 1 Peter. He has not been accusing the brethren like we see in Job chapters 1 and 2, where he says, have you considered Job? Or actually, God said, have you considered Job? And Satan said, big deal, put him to the test. Uh, he has not been the dragon ravaging the earth that we saw through the second half of this tribulation period. So Satan first has been protected. Uh, second, the world has been, or Satan has been punished. The war, second, the world has been protected. But as far as Satan being rehabilitated, that one is, is not going to be accomplished. Uh, wouldn't that be nice if it was? Wouldn't it be nice if Satan came out and, and, and instead of roaring out of the pit with an angry, drooling jaw of this dragon, wouldn't it be nice if he came out and said, I want to thank you for putting me in there because I had a lot of time to think and I've learned my lesson. And if you'll forgive me, I'd like to serve you. Is that possible? <laughs> the answer is it's not because we actually know what he does. <laughs> but, but I don't think it's not hypothetically possible. But, but we'll, actually, we'll talk about that a little bit more. It's, it's kind of, kind of uh, difficult. You know, I, I do get asked from time to time whether God would forgive Satan if Satan was to repent. It's, it's, it's one of the questions people think about, and, and could Satan himself be forgiven if God was to do that? And, and I'm going to give you my honest answer. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's more difficult than you may think. First of all, it seems that the time of decision of angels is past. That's a normal theological position that says angels are, their decision is settled. Now, there's no verse that says that. So that's why I say it seems like it. But, but it seems like the angels who are good angels are good angels, and the angels who are bad angels are bad angels, and they're not crossing back and forth. Right? That seems to be a decided thing. So if the time of angels, is, their decision is passed, then Satan's chance is, is gone. He's not getting another one. Right? Uh, that, that's what it, 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 it that, that's the first answer is, is if angels' judgment is gone and passed, it would be like us getting another chance after we die. And the Bible says it is given unto man uh, once to die and after that the judgment. Say, there's, there's nothing about any second chances. We, we have that one opportunity. Uh, and and uh, so it, it doesn't seem likely that he would be able to. Uh, but, but the bottom line is, is since we know he won't repent, it kind of is a moot issue whether he could if he wanted to. Uh, but, but he won't, and so it's hard to evaluate all the maybes. But what if he was repentant? What if he crawled out and asked forgiveness? And for the rest of eternity, he was an honest and productive member of society, right? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, it, he, is, he is arguably the most perfect being ever created, and he finally decides to be productive. <laughs> Think of how productive he could be, what he could be. Uh, but that's not what we, we have instead. We know he won't be re re rehabilitated. So instead, how do you picture him coming out of the, the, the pit? And I'll give you a picture that might, a combination of, of fact and fantasy. Picture the evil genie escaping from the jar. Because a djinn... If you're, if you're not aware, you probably are aware, in which case I'm just reminding you of what you know. A jinn is the Muslim version of a demon, right? A jinn is a demon. The word translates directly to demon. And so, and so when they say an evil demon, it's like, what other kind is there? Okay, but in our, in our Aladdin society, we have the nice genie who comes out and cracks jokes. 
And then we have the evil genie who comes out and is mean. So picture the mean, evil, huge, powerful genie escaping, except he, doesn't, he isn't bound by three wishes to anybody. Right? He, he has one thing. He has this evil, hatred, vengeance, anger, uh, wrath on him, and he is bent on doing evil. And so that Satan is released from prison. When the seven, thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, verse 7, verse 8, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their name, number is like the sand of the sea, the first half of verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Right? Uh, and so the, the world will follow him. And this is just uh, a mind twisting kind of insanity. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah. How could the world follow him? Uh, he will, it says he will deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth. I'm thinking, how tricky, how deceptive does he have to be? What horrible, possible, uh, convoluted, deceptive scheme can he come up with? And I'll give you a really, I think, correct prediction on what that deceit is, it will be, you can be like God. He is holding you down because he knows that you could be like him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Let's try Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And, and, and is that not remarkable to think about? that we go there. And the very first deception Satan ever used is probably the last one he'll ever use, except there's a lot of, it's not like first and last, it's first and then last. Chapter 3, verse 5. But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, sorry, let's, let's start at verse, let's start at the start, 3, 1 through 5. Now the, Satan was more, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? The very first deception, God is holding you down. He doesn't want you to be like him. And he knows if you eat that fruit, then you will be like him. And so he is not allowing you to eat that fruit. Pretty easy. God's doing this out of selfish pettiness and self-protection. And you'll think about the, garden of, uh, the, garden, the Tower of Babel where God, God says, uh, uh, if, if we don't do something about this, they will be able to do anything. Or nothing will be impossible to them. Let me read that quote. And we're in Genesis chapter 11 now. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And he came down and he, he dis, uh, confused the languages so that people would not be able to do anything, because he said, if, if we don't do something about it, they can do anything they want. Nothing will be impossible. Can you see Satan using that verse? Saying, hey, people, let me show you. And you can use God's word deceptively if you are deceptive yourself. 
right? Because it is God's word doesn't mean people can't use it badly or misuse it or misapply it. And guess who's better at that than anyone else, right? Satan himself is the best deceiver in the planet. He's the father of lies. Uh, he is a liar and the follower of lies. And so I can just see, uh, as we look at Eve, the temptation, you can be like him. Uh, God is cheating you, right? Psalm 2. Uh, we've been on Psalm 2 a few times, and, and it, it just, it's just funny how some of these particular, and maybe it's just me, maybe uh, someone else would see other passages just completely saturating this whole, whole thing. But Psalm 2, verses 1, and, and one through 2 and 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed ones, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. God is holding us down. We don't want his rules. We don't want his, his restrictions. We don't want his goodness. We want to be able to do what we want to do. He is preventing us from that. The nations rage. The people's plot in vain. They conspire against him. They want to throw him off. It's the same temptation as Eve. It's the same temptation that she had. Uh, she was deceived thinking that was somehow good, somehow right. I think this is his deceit. I think the old lie still works. I think it's the, the best one. I don't think he's deceiving them like saying, look at me, I'm God. You know, when he, during the tribulation, we talked about the, the, the false prophet going around and doing signs and wonders. We talked about the, the, the evil trinity that we had, the dragon, the beast, and the, and the false prophet. Uh, we talked about the, the statue that was made to, to live. We talked about the, the false prophet being able to call down fire from heaven. I think he's going to deceive people into thinking he is God or he is the Messiah. I think during the tribulation, that's going to be the deceit. I don't think that's the deceit here at the end. I don't think he's going... The people have had Jesus Christ ruling on a throne for a thousand years. And, and these people, are if they die at 100, they're going to be considered young, so the people are going to be living long times witnessing this with their own eyes and their own experience. They're going to know this, and yet they're going to reject him and turn against him. I don't think they're going to be deceived about who he is. That's going to be too obvious. It's going to be, although he's not going to walk around calling down fire, because he doesn't have to. But if you don't send people up to the Feast of Booths, you're in big trouble. So you do it, but you do it because you have to. And these people following Jesus Christ, being good, the good is all on the outside. When I say all, there's obviously some good people, some truly believing people as we go through here. Uh, but it's not what we, we it's not, they're not the rule. I don't think he's deceiving them into thinking Jesus did a bad job of ruling the world. Right? They're just going to say, that's so old-fashioned. Those rules are so old-fashioned. Don't you know there's better ways to do things now? We know better today. I had a guy <laughs> I talked to not too long ago spouting Bible at me, teaching me truths, and then starting to explain biblically why uh, um, transgender was okay. <laughs> And I, I, at this, actually, by, at this point, I didn't call him on it. I, I called him a little bit, uh, but I didn't, I'd, I'd already called the guy on so many things. I said, you know, I'm just not, I'm wasting my time here. I'm not going to try anymore. Uh, the, people are deceived because they want to be deceived. They don't want the rules. 
They don't want God telling them how it's supposed to be. They, they simply want to be free to do what they want to do. And, and, and it's, it's in today's world, this truth is more obvious and evident than I think it's been in, I'm not going to say ever, because there was a place called Sodom and Gomorrah, or places called Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, there, there, there have been these places in the past right? Uh, and, and the world really does seem to do, you know, that whole back and forth pendulum thing. Except, you know, the law of a pendulum says the pendulum, I, this is not the quote of the law, but the pendulum will never reach the same point again. It will always swing less each time. And that's not the way history pendulums, right? History pendulums the other way, and it's getting worse, I think, each time. And, and I think we truly are near the end. Uh, of time, because today's society shows how absolutely true this is. It permeates our world how much evil people can do and, and call it good and those who would stop them are wrong. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed one? We will cast off his fetters, they say. Right? And if you remember the next verse, the one enthroned laughs at them. <laughs> He's not impressed. He's not intimidated. He's not scared. But we look at verse 9, and the world will come out again in open warfare against God. And the first thing about that is that it's like, how is it possible and yet it's predictable? It's just because it's that whole history repeating itself again. You know, I doubt they're ignorant of the history of the world. You know, I don't think, I, 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 I kind of suspect history books will be written about the, 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 the times that came before them, the things that we look at and prof prophetically look at ahead of us. I think they'll be looking at behind them. I don't think they'll be ignorant of this. I don't think they're going to be uh, people who don't read or can't read or don't know anything. I don't think they'll be ignorant, but I think they, and, and, at the same point, by this time, probably none of them will have seen it personally. You know, this is the next generation at best, probably. You know, most of them are going to be, you know, hundreds of years after. It's going to be the same, you know, population. Uh, uh, it's not arithmetic. What do they call that progression when it? Exponential, thank you. It's going to be this exponential growth. And so the world is going to, as more time goes by, it's going to grow faster. That's what population does, right? And so I think most of them are not going to remember this, but there will be some people really close to the truth uh, and, and, and aware of it. You know, when the flood happened, there were people alive who knew Adam, had to be, uh, or almost certainly was. Uh, but, but at the same time, most of them won't, and people will deny its truthfulness. Why would they do that? Because they don't want it to be true. Why do people today deny the Holocaust? And you go, yeah, they don't want it to be true. Because I don't want it to be true, I will say it's not true, and I will do everything to, to stamp out any evidence of this truth that I don't believe is true. It's like, no, they, they clearly believe, in order to stamp it out, you have to believe it's true. You know, if there's a fire there, and I believe there's a fire there, I can stamp it out, right? But if there's a fire there, and I don't believe there's a fire there, I'm not going to go stamp it out. Why would I bother? Right? They, they have to intentionally hide the truth to do this. Uh, it's, it, what's discouraging is the comparison of the sizes of the two armies. Or I don't know if you call them armies. Right? And, and they marched up, right? Verse 8 still. 
Uh, they will come out to deceive the na nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, and the number is like the sand of the sea. Four corners of the earth doesn't mean they believe the earth is square <laughs> or flat. It's a normal expression, just like the seven seas. I had an uncle who told me he'd sailed the seven seas, and I was always trying to figure out what are the seven seas? And I'd pull out the globe and I'd look at it and I'd say, well, the Mediterranean has to be one of them. <laughs> but I couldn't figure it. He wasn't saying he sailed seven literal seas. He was saying he'd sailed a lot, right? Uh, that kind of thing. My mom used the expression, the four corners. We say the sun rises. We all know the earth turns, right? But do we scold each other when we say the sun rises? No, not unless we're smart alecky junior high boy. <laughs> Then because they know better than us, they have to explain it to us. And we go, oh. <laughs> but anyway, that's, stop doing that. Uh, but when it says the nations of the four corners of the earth, it's another way of saying the whole world, right? Not part of the world, not a little bit of the world, not people from this part. You know, because biblically, we're, we're so familiar, if, if we study the Bible much, with the idea of the world representing that section of the world. And you can go as far as Rome, even as far as Spain for some. You can go as far as, as uh, Persia. Uh, the other way, you go as far as Turkey north and, and Egypt or, or Ethiopia south. And that's the world, right? When they talk about the world, that's normally what they're talking about. Uh, he says here, the four corners of the earth. And he's making it clear. He's not talking about this little biblical section of the world. He's talking about the whole world, the four corners of the world. The whole world is going to come together, uh, and the number, their number is going to be like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and, uh, and the, it's the camp of the saints. I don't know how big a camp is. You know, we aren't given numbers here. We can't give an exact ratio here. But we can clearly understand the picture that is being presented, that there is a huge, enormous amount of those following Satan and a relatively tiny amount following Christ. And you go, how can that be? How can that possibly be? And the answer is, we are a rebellious, sinful people. And what possible value does it have for us to know that? I mean, I could have lived without knowing this. But you know, the amazing thing is people still try to say man is basically good. You know what? We need to know man is not basically good. It is utterly important for us to recognize man is not basically good. You know, you can argue about nature and nurture all you want and say, well, he's born good, but it's society that makes him bad. If we could only make society better, well, society will never get better than when it's ruled by Jesus Christ for a thousand years. And man, <laughs> society is better, man is not. First chance man has, whether he sees a viable chance to rebel, he does in huge numbers. And there will be those who don't, but man does. But of course Jesus wins. I mean, 9b and 10, uh, the second half of verse 9 and 10, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, thus endeth the battle. Uh, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Right? And so heaven and earth uh, are consumed. It's not just the armies that are consumed. Heaven and earth are consumed. Uh, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Right? And we're going to see those uh, soon. First, we have to look at the great white throne of judgment next week. But, but uh, the, the, the heaven and earth are consumed. They are no more. 
God is done with this planet. Not as if he's fed up and done, but as he has finished what he has set out to do. It is complete and, and done, and, and everything he needed to accomplish, he has. Uh, and and uh, so, so I come back to the story again. Why tell us this story? Because we won't be there. I don't care what your vis- version of, of pro- prophetic future is. I shouldn't say that. Uh, because if there's that chance that we get to be among those who come back and rule with Christ for a thousand years, then we can be there that way. But frankly, we won't be all that hugely interested. Uh, we, we certainly won't be rebelling. Uh, and and uh, but, but otherwise, we, none of us will survive to enter the millennium. Uh, uh, even if we get to be there for the thousand years, that's not, it's not our hope to be there for the millennium. I mean, it, it would be cool to be there for the millennium. I will admit. It would be cool. It would be f- I would love to be one of those people ruling for a thousand years. That would be really nice. But that's not my hope, right? Uh, what do you hope to get out of your following of Christ? Well, I hope to rule for a thousand years. It's like, it's like offering, it's not like a small child who, who wants two pennies instead of one dollar, you know? <laughs> I want two monies, you know? It's, it's, it's hugely short-sighted. Um, it's, it's not the hope. So it's not written to prepare us as if we need to know what to expect so we know what we're going to go through. It's not written that way. God is revealing human nature to us. And, and, and it's kind of funny, as much as Revelation is a book, as I say, say again and again, revealing Jesus Christ, at this point he's not revealing Jesus Christ, he's revealing man. He's revealing man. And it's important for us to see who we are. Because when we see who we are, then we know what to guard against what to protect ourselves from. If man is by nature a rebellious, sinful creature, what are you? The answer is, I am a rebellious, sinful creature. And how deep do you have to look before you say, yes, I am? Yeah, not very deep. Not very deep at all. Because we are rebellious, sinful creatures. And when we recognize that, we need to do something about that. What's the hardest thing for people to do? Someone said, change, submit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can I, can I do something else? <laughs> could, I, could I work it off? <laughs> you know, could, I, could I pay this on, the, on an installment plan or something like that? The answer is submit. You know, the good news is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That, that's where our good news is. Uh, the entire history of the world until now, or actually the high entire history of the world through the millennium, as I walked through it early, early on, is, is to show that man is rebellious and needs Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we cannot do it on our own. The future history, the thousand years with him on the throne just reveals the same. Uh, we cannot attain righteousness on our own. We cannot attain goodness. We cannot attain eternity. But Jesus Christ just plain gives it to us. He gives it to us for nothing because he loves us. He, he looks at us rebellious as we are, right? Sinful as we are, and he loves us anyway. He wins. He gives us eternity. People have this goal to be like God, right? Eve, the temptation, you'll be like God. People at Babel, they, were, they wanted to be able to do everything they could and be like God. I think what Satan's temptation in the future is going to be, the deceit is that you can be like God. You want to be like God? You know what, G- who, who, what God calls, says will make us sons of God? <laughs> yeah, then you will be sons of God. He, he asks us to, to, to uh, follow him, 
to obey him, right? To believe in him. Then we are sons of God. He makes us children of God. It's real simple. Don't be part of a fight you can't win. Can't win. Join Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. Uh, and you have the victory. He's there. It's that easy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to take the truth of your word and put it in our hearts. As you have spoken to any one of us today, I ask you to help us to, to remember what you have said, to live out the truths you've given us. Lord, I ask you to grow us in faithfulness and submission and love. Help us to walk out in this world better for being here today. We pray in Jesus' name.